Welcome to the Family Church Sermon Podcast. Join us each week as we look to the Bible to seek out what it means to love God passionately and love people personally. For more information about our weekly gatherings and how you can be part of our outreach, visit jointhefamily.church. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Father, thank you for this word this morning, Father. I pray, um, Lord, that we would prepare ourselves like a bride prepares for her groom, Father, that we would be ready for you when you come, Lord. Lord, we thank you that we have this promise, Lord, that we can look forward to this day of spending eternity with you, Father, in a new heaven and a new earth, Lord, and that we don't have to worry about any more pain, no more suffering, Father, Lord. We thank you for that promise this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 I invite you to open with me to Revelation chapter 21. We're going to read Uh, We just started chapter 21. We're going to finish that chapter and uh, finish through chapter 22 today. Our sermon today, here we are. We're finally at the very end of the book of Revelation. Y'all have enjoyed our time any? You learned anything new? You disagree with something? You know, we can talk about that afterward. Actually, yeah, whatever. Send your complaints to my email, you know. So, I've, I've enjoyed this time that we've spent, really, we started after Easter, and then we had a few breaks in there, but here we are wrapping up at the end of the summer, and uh, here in our 11th week, we're going to look, and our sermon is entitled, The City. We're going to look at what our destiny is as God's people and what He is calling us to. I'm thankful for Laura uh, and, and, and Tim and their uh, dedication to lead, and Travis, I can't forget Travis in the back. Uh, leading us in worship this morning. Laura helped pick some of the songs selections this week, really to focus on that eternal perspective. And I, my chains are gone, Amazing Grace, actually cuts that last verse, which I kind of wanted to sing. That's why I said, let's just sing the old hymn. We, when we've been there 10,000 years, right? Bright shining as the sun. 
and no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. I can't, I'm, I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to that day. I don't know about you. And then I, I love that last song that Laura just sang. I love, I love the bridge of that. And y'all know what the bridge of a song is? That's kind of, you have, usually every song has two or three verses and then the bridge is kind of towards the end and it builds and then you repeat a chorus. Uh, that's typically how a song is structured. I love the bridge of that song, how it says, I see bright crimson robes draped over the ashes. I'm reminded of, we talked about last week, the rider on the white horse, right? And his robe dipped in blood. And and the scripture actually tells us that the followers of Jesus, we read this several weeks ago, their robes were made white by his crimson covered blood-stained robe. I see bright crimson robes draped over the ashes, a wide open tomb where there should be a casket. The children are singing and dancing and laughing. The Father is welcoming. This is our homecoming. Roses and blooms, they pushed up from the embers. Y'all know roses aren't supposed to push up from something that's on fire. Our rivers of tears flow from good times remembered. Families are dancing and laughing and singing. The Father is welcoming. This is our homecoming. And then I love how it ends. It says, and And heaven joins in with a glorious sound and the great cloud of witnesses. Y'all know, right? We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses all gather around because the ones who were lost are finally found. The Father is welcoming. This is our homecoming. I'm going to date myself here a little bit, but my 20-year high school reunion's coming up this year. And I know you're like, I didn't know you were that young, or I didn't know you were that old, depending upon your perspective. And I'm sure many of us in here have done those types of reunions. It's always good when you get to come together and you see old faces and and just be remember remembering good times, maybe even some bad times. And, and can y'all just imagine what eternity is going to be like? Can y'all imagine like what it's going to be like? Not only are we going to see like greats from the Bible, we're going to walk the streets of gold with Peter and Paul and James and John, but we are going to see the ones that we love that are no longer with us. We're going to see our children, our children's children, our grandchildren, our great, great, great grandchildren that we never met. It's going to be a glorious, glorious glorious time. And so when we look at the book of Revelation, we've looked at some, some weeks here, especially here in the, in the middle when you got to the seals and the bowls and the trumpets and we talked about the great prostitute and all these things. These things all contrast with the good that God has in store for us. In fact, we looked at Babylon as the great prostitute because we, we have to know what the opposite is of the great bride, which is to come, which is the city of God, the new Jerusalem in which we get to inhabit. In fact, it's not so much about a city physically. You are the city. The people, the redeemed people of God are those who are going to make up the city. It's kind of like we come to a church building. But without you, without the 30 people we have in here today, without you in here, it's just a building. It's not a church. What makes it a church is the gathered people of God. Because we are. We are the church. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. And so I want to unpack this big promise today that we have, which is this. And this is how the crescendo, how the whole thing ends. God's promise is an everlasting city for his people. 
Let me say that again. God's promise is an everlasting city for his people. Has that ever blown your mind that it's everlasting? I remember hearing my childhood pastor Buford Easley preach and and going through uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but would have eternal or everlasting life, depending upon your translation. It just blew my mind. You see, I'd been raised in church, but just because I was raised in church didn't mean I was a Christian. It gave me a leg up. But I remember just sitting there and thinking, God, how can this last forever? God, uh, uh, all these bad things in life that I've experienced, is that what everlasting looks like? And then I thought about it. I just thought about how it just blew my mind that like in Christ, that this will never end, that we get a redeemed New heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, redeemed bodies. We're raised up for all of eternity. We talked about the bad side of that last week. For those who don't follow Jesus, there's an eternal damnation apart from Jesus Christ. And it's, I was talking about this with Miss Becky, if you, or maybe it was Miss Dale, actually. I'm sorry, I'm confusing y'all. Sorry. Uh, both good, godly ladies. I was talking about this with Miss Dale. Like, it's hard to even fathom. Y'all know, as Christians, we don't like to think about hell too much because it's a it's a it's a like you know uh, it's a hard thing to preach on it's a hard thing to read about it's a hard thing to talk about but it's it's in the bible it's a reality and the bible says that apart from jesus there will be everlasting torment and that's not meant to scare you into an ideal that's meant to encourage those who follow jesus that he's rescued us from our own choices because right now we may seem happy by some of the choices that we've made, but ultimately, as Scripture tells us, our choices result in death. So we see that the new heaven, the new earth come, right? And the big, and, and really what I see from what, what Laura read here to open our time together, I see that I love what my professor Gerald Stevens said. John's real point here in Revelation is not a place but the person. His real message is the intimate relationship between God and his people. See, what makes heaven heaven? What makes the new Jerusalem Jerusalem? What what makes the new earth the new earth is the presence of God there. We get to see him, as we're going to read here in a moment, face to face. And so what we see here is at the beginning, we see that what Laura read, the first eight verses, really introduced, uh, intr- introduce us to the host, to the host of eternity. Now what I'm going to read here in a, in a moment is the, is the home that we're going to, the, the, the habitat that we're going to inhabit with our praises for all of eternity. Let's read, and, and, and you're going to see here, like I, I, I remember being a young kid in Sunday school and reading these verses and explaining that and people tried to explain this is exactly what heaven's going to be like and this and that and what have we learned so far from the book of revelation that there's a lot of things in revelation that are truly just symbolic and so when we get to the 12,000 stadia here in a moment talking about the cubed version of what the new jerusalem is going to look like think about this it's basically it's just going to be perfect it's going to be perfect. In fact, in our modern day accounting, if you take 12,000 stadia and you stretch it out to what our modern equivalent of 
miles and yards and feet and all that kilometers what it is. It would stretch all the way from Dallas, Fort Worth to Los Angeles. And in their day, it would stretch from one end of the Mediterranean Sea to the other. Get that, one end of the Mediterranean Sea to the other. That was their world. In fact, the message that was being sent is it's all going to be made new. It's innumerable what God is going to do. So let's read about that. It's exciting to read. Hopefully I can explain a few things here as we read. What we see in verse 9, it says this, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, full of the seven last plagues, and he spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. We are the bride of Christ. And think about this. He's showing him, he's showing him the new Jerusalem. If you've ever been married before, you remember seeing your spouse, whether you're walking down the aisle and looking at your groom standing up there, whether you're a groom, like my perspective, and I saw that hot, beautiful girl walking down the, the aisle, you know? It's, it, it's something that is special to behold. If you've ever been at a wedding, it's a glorious thing. And so what John does here through the vision given to him by Christ, through his messengers, the angels, is he's saying that we are the bride of Christ. We are, we are prepared. We are beautifully adorned for him. And he carried me, look at this verse 10, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy Jerusalem coming down of heaven from God. Similarly, we read, uh, we read back in the story of Moses that Moses was brought to a great high mountain and he was shown the promised land that was promised for God's people. So John is experiencing something quite similar here. And this Jerusalem, this holy city coming down out of heaven, verse 11, having the glory of God, its radiance like the most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had great high walls with 12 gates, and at the gates were the 12 angels, and the gates had the names of the 12 sons of Israel that were inscribed. This is connecting the Old Testament and the New Testament together, verse 13. And on the east three gates, and on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates, the names of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The 12 disciples are written on the foundations. Y'all know gates aren't good without a solid foundation. Have y'all ever built a fence or something around your house and then like the soil causes it to droop? Well, you know, uh, the, like our house, you know, the gates and, 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 and barriers aren't good without a good foundation. Now, any, any old city, its renown was known by the majesty of its gates and its foundations. And in fact, in the Roman Empire, the foundations of these great buildings that they built were always inscribed with the lead benefactors, with the lead politicians, with the lead uh, people who gave money to certain campaigns. And so what we see here is the counterpoint that John is pointing out is that our foundations will be written with the 12 disciples, the people of God, the, those who have led us to be a part of this bride celebration. We see in verse 15, and the one who spoke to me with a measuring rod of gold, gold represents untouchable wealth. It represents purity. With a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls, the city lies foursquare. Now what I'm getting into here is, uh, 
is I believe what is being said here is symbolic. And in fact, the same sort of description of the new Jerusalem is the same sort of description we see in the Old Testament for the Holy of Holies and the temple. It's four square and it's perfect on all sides. And the city lies four square and it's, it's linked the same as its width. And, and he measured the city with a rod, 12,000 stadium. What I told you is that really stretched from their, their perspective of what the world was, from one end of the world to the other, one end of the Mediterranean to the other. And the length of its width and height are equal. And he measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. It's cool, angels have different measurement. It's awesome. Um, but it's the same here. And we see the wall was built of jasper with the city, and while the city was what? Pure gold. Like clear crystal glass. Ladies, if you've been married, do you ever like look down at your engagement, your wedding ring often, you know, and you just look at, and girls like shiny things, right? And there's a good thing here. And, and guys like good things too. Actually, my high school ring, uh, had some had like a little stone in the middle of it. We like those things. Those are just an echo of what eternity is going to be like. It's going to be better than anything you can imagine. Verse 19. The foundation of the walls of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. Now get this. The city rep represents the glory of God. It says the first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, verse 21, and the twelve gates, in the twelve gates there were, they were made of twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. Pearls were just as valuable in the Greco-Roman period as they are now, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Just let that sink in. That's awesome. And I saw no temple in the city. Now the whole Old Testament is built about God's glory inhabiting a place. There's no need for a temple here because he's there with us. He is, we are now through his presence, the temple of the living God. And we will be gathered together as his temple with his presence among us. For its temple is the Lord, the Almighty and the Lamb. Verse 23. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light, and its light is the Lamb. But it, by its light the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Every nation is trying to achieve their own sort of semblance of fame. If you watch the news uh, nowadays, y'all know uh, Senator Pelosi was at this last week, landed in Taiwan and kind of caused an uproar. And now China's firing missiles over Taiwan. My kids are asking about World War III and all this stuff. And, and here's the thing, every empire on this earth is trying to to show its dominance, is trying to show its glory and its fame. But all of that longing will simply be brought in and it will bow at the feet of our Creator. Verse 25, And its gates will never shut by day, and there will be no night there. A city is only as strong as its walls, and its walls are only as strong as the gates which can't be penetrated. But here, 
What, what are gates for? Gates are to keep people out, right? Keep people out, or if you're like our family, keep our dogs in, right? You know, like it's to keep people out. But what we see here is that these gates don't, won't need to be closed because sin is no more. There's no sin in the camp like we see in the Old Testament. Death and Hades have been thrown into the lake of fire for eternity. All has been made new and there will be no night there. There'll be no night. It's, it, we won't have a need for day or night because the glory of God will shine for all of eternity. And, the, and, and, and it says, but nothing unclean will enter it. I talked about dogs here a moment ago. I'll, I'll talk about that here in a moment. But nothing unclean will in, ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. In fact, in ancient cities, evildoers and even dogs, dogs were ceremonially unclean. They weren't like our domesticated animals that we have nowadays. They were all cast outside of the city because what that that meant was separation from the king, separation from his protection, but we won't be cast out. As his people, we will be invited. We will belong. And all those who don't follow him, they will be cast out, and they will be cast out for all of eternity. In verse 22, and what we see here in verse, uh, not verse 22, chapter 22, verse 1, is what we see in these first few verses kind of reminds us of the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. What we see here is that this new city, this new Jerusalem, kind of brings us back to this, the feeling of the Garden of Eden. You ever thought about the Bible begins in a garden and ends in a city? The Bible begins in a garden and ends in a city, but this city will mirror all of the blessings that God promised his people in the garden. And what we see here is that this city is important because it reflects our mission that we have now. When I was at uh, First Baptist Robertsdale a couple weeks ago, I, I made a joke that Laura told me not to say, so I naturally said it. And, uh, and, uh, it, and uh, it was one, it was a good partner church of ours, you know, didn't want to offend anybody or any of this. But I love this quote by Bill Crispin, and you'll find it funny because you're stuck in a city, um, whether you like it or not, you're living here right now, right? Um, the country is where there are more plants than people. And the city is where there are more people than plants, right? Get that? The country, there's more plants than people. City, there's more people than plants. God obviously loves people more than plants, so he loves the city more than the country, right? Yeah. You're supposed to laugh. You live here. You're supposed to agree with that, you know? But, but here's the thing. Cities can be chaotic. We look at the Old Testament, Sodom and Gomorrah were built for sinful purposes. But what we see is there's a change in the book of Jonah. And Jonah's called to go to an evil city, Nineveh. And he's called to call out God's judgment so that the people of Nineveh would repent. And from that point on, God has had a purpose in redeeming cities. Now, there's parts of the country that we like. Ken, Ken gets away as much as he can to get out of the city and go to the country. We all love it. I mean, we loved, Laura and I, we love getting either to the country in a cabin or on the beach. Like, we just love that. We love experiencing nature. We don't have much nature here, right? We just have smog and folk and, and, and pollution and, and people yelling at you. And like, it, cities are chaotic 
right? But what we see is that this, there's nothing evil about a mass of people, which is what a city is. But God's going to redeem this city. This new Jerusalem is going to have those things about the garden that appeal to us. The Bible begins in a garden and ends in a city. Cities are strategically important. Do y'all know that God has placed family church by his sovereignty in the city of Kenner? And right now in Metairie's not a city. It's weird. It's like triple the size of Kenner, but not a city. But has put us in these places so that we can be the hands and feet and we can let our light shine. So let's see what he says that the city is going to look like. We see, then the angel showed me a river of water of life. Does that not sound familiar? Like the beginning of the book of Genesis. The, gar- the Garden of Eden had a, had a river flowing through the middle. And through the middle of the street of the city. And on each side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kind of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I want to read, let me, let me find, Ezekiel 47 12 just pause here for a minute Ezekiel 47 12 talks about a paradise a a future that God's people will have and it says and on the banks of that paradise on both sides of the river there will grow all kinds of trees for fruit for food the leaves will not wither nor the fruit fail but they will bear fruit for every month and by the water of them by, by, by the water from them flows the sanctuary of God and their fruit will be for food and their leaves will be for healing. Isn't it awesome how God's word just kind of fits together? Verse four. Oh, let's back up to verse three. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. If you don't like to worship, you're not going to like heaven, right? His, his, his followers will worship him. Verse 4, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and the night will be no more and they will need no, no light of lamp for sun for the Lord God will be their light and they, get this, and they, we with him, will reign forever and ever. The city is prepared. That's our first point. We only have two points today. It's going to be good. But first point is this. The city's prepared. It's prepared for us. It's prepared for God's people. God, when he cried out, Laura read, it is done, right? I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Echoes what Jesus cried out on the cross. It is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What we see here is that Revelation, this goes back to our first sermon series, our first week of our sermon series, Revelation 1, tells us first that Revelation is a blessing. The reason we've led, read every single verse of the book is because we are blessed to read that aloud. That's what Revelation 1 verse 3 says. Revelation is a blessing. Revelation is all about Jesus, and Revelation is for the church. And so we open up, Mike preached in week two, he talked about the seven churches of Revelation and how these seven churches represented perfection, uh, the perfection of God's work 
Seven is a number for perfect. Now these churches weren't perfect, but God's story to his churches and warnings to his churches are, and it's passed along to us. What we see, what we see if we back all the way up to Genesis chapter two, verse seven, the first church that is addressed is the church at Ephesus. And what does he say in that? He says, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. What did we just read about? We, we read about the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. We see God's promises fulfilled to his people, the ones who would conquer, the ones who would endure. And in fact, we will see his face. Y'all know seeing his face previously in scripture could result in death. Death and sickness and anything that brings us down will be no more. And what we see is that we are promised an eternal good for the glory of God and his, the goodness of his people. And what we see is that we could not gaze upon him in the face. What makes a wedding day so important? What makes a wedding day is so important? You look your, your spouse in the face, your soon-to-be spouse in the face, and you see them for who they are. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you say in your vows, you accept them for who they are. Till death do you part. What we will do with our creator is we will gaze upon him face to face. And he will say, you're mine. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. What I care about is are you marked by the name of my son? In fact, maybe this fulfills what the what the, the priestly blessing of Numbers chapter 6, 24 through 26 says, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May his face shine on you and may he be gracious to you. May the Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. Revelation chapter 3, verse 12, to the church at Philadelphia, he says, on you, those who conquer, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. We will be marked by the creator for all of eternity. Heads, foreheads, probably symbolic. But what, what it's being said here is that we are no longer, when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. When God looks at us, he sees his son. We're marked by him. The city is prepared. What did Jesus tell the apostles in John chapter 14, verses two through three? He said, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back again and take you to myself for that where I am, there you may be also. And then Thomas gets up and he says, Lord, how do we know where you're going? Like, we don't want you to leave. How do we know where you're going? And Jesus replies, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So that's why we sing. Y'all know that we're not going to sing it today, but y'all know the, 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 the chorus, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Now Jesus, his glory and his presence is what allows us to see the Father. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim, right? In light of his glory and grace. The city is prepared. 
what we're going to see here is that the city is coming. Let's finish the book. Revelation chapter 22, 6 through 21. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirit of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming when? Soon. I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now John has seen these visions. Now John finds himself here again on the island of Patmos. And, and if you didn't, just to remind you of where we were in week one, the book of Revelation is, is a unique book. It's a letter written to seven churches. It's also an apocalypse that uses symbology to communicate an eternal truth. It's also a word of prophecy. Now, prophecy oftentimes in the Old Testament wasn't all about speaking what's going to happen in the future. Prophetic words in the Old Testament, about 80, 90% of the time, I don't know the exact term, uh, look it up, but it, uh, it pointed towards the law. It pointed towards what God wanted us to do now. And we talked about a few weeks ago, the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when you speak about the goodness of Jesus to someone, you're in fact speaking to them about their future. You're speaking to them about their future in Christ or their future apart from Christ, depending upon their choice. Prophecy points us to truth that's already there, and it also points us to truth that's to come. And that's what the encouragement is in the book of Revelation. The encouragement is the seven churches who are struggling. Our church here today, even in America, I mean, we have our own sorts of struggles. Maybe not like our brothers and sisters in other countries, but we have our own persecutions and our own struggles. It's an encouragement to you today. And so John, probably history tells us the last of the apostles to live. He was probably the youngest of all the disciples of Jesus. And John, at the end of his life, he gets uh, imprisoned on the island of Patmos. But before he gets there, church history tells us that he was actually boiled alive in water in the Roman Colosseum. And not a hair on his head was scorched. And that he was boiled alive because the emperor didn't like the way that the church was, was coming up and, and the church was growing. He was boiled alive, but nothing happened. And history tells us that everyone in the Colosseum that day turned to Jesus. And so the emperor, just upset, takes John and he bans him, banishes him to an island, Patmos. And so here uh, he's on the island of Patmos. And you know, you're old, older in life. All of your other disciples, they have died horrendous deaths. You've been persecuted yourself. And what does John do? John has one last story to tell. John gets a vision. And he gets a vision that honestly scares him. But this vision is something that he needs to pass along to the church. And that's where we find ourselves. So let's look at verse 8. John had not mentioned himself by name since the very first chapter. In fact, John probably didn't want all of what lied in between to be about him. It wasn't about his story. It was about the Jesus that he was pointing the church to. But we see here, I, John, am the one who heard these things and saw these things. And when I heard and I saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. 
And the angel corrects him. He says, and he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant. This happened in chapter one. It happens again. God's people, we do the same thing over and over and over, even the apostle John. So he falls down to worship the angel. And the angel says, don't do that. I'm just a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keeps the word of this book. And what he points John to do is this, and this is the point here that closes the book of Revelation. Worship God. Worship God. And he said to me, don't seal up the words of this prophecy, for the time is near. Prophetic words at that time, apocalyptic language was, even in the book of Daniel, it says that his, his seal up the words of this prophecy until it's needed time. The words of this prophecy weren't going to be sealed because they're for us now. Let the evildoers still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do what is right and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. I am bringing my recompense, righteous judgment with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He repeats this twice here at the very end of the book. He says it also at the very beginning of the book. He's binding this entire, this entire book by his word. He's saying from beginning to end, it's all true. Now we see another beatitude in verse 14. There are seven beatitudes. Beatitudes are blessings. Y'all know the Sermon on the Mount? The beatitudes is the blessed is this, you know, and Jesus speaks that same thing in this book. We see blessed are those who wash their their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by its gate. Outside are the dogs. We talked about this a moment ago. Dogs represent evil and vile things. They weren't our cute, cuddly friends that we have nowadays. And the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, this message isn't just isn't from John, it's ultimately from Jesus. I, Jesus, have sent my angel or my messenger to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David. What we see in the book of Isaiah, he's the stump of Jesse, right? He is the root of God's promises, the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. He's the bright morning star. Do y'all know that stars are at their brightest right before sunrise? Did y'all know that? It reminds me of, y'all, everybody ever seen The Dark Knight? The, the Batman movie, have I ever seen that? I know some younger, none of y'all have ever seen that. Okay, I'm not recommending it. There's probably not all godly stuff in there. But Harvey Dent, Two-Face, is one of the, is one of the um, uh, I guess, bad guys in the movie. And he says this quote, he says, the night is darkest just before the dawn, and I promise you, the dawn is coming. Well, we know that the, for us as Christians, we know that the bright morning star appears right as soon as the sun is going to rise. So what does that mean? That means the time is coming. And that means it's almost here. And that means that we have a decision to make. And it says, verse 17, the spirit and the bride, this is how evangelism is done both through the Spirit's power and the bride of Christ, the people, the redeemed of Christ. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come.
And let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. You see, our eternity is, is an everlasting quenching of our thirst. The Roman Empire had this vast system and expensive system of aqueducts that tried to provide good water for them. And what, what we're seeing here is that God doesn't have to use all these riches and all these different tactics to bring water and nourishment to his people. We will forever be nourished. And that water will be without a price because he's paid that price on the cross for us. The price has been paid and his name was Jesus. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy, if anyone adds to them, God will take will add to him the plagues described written in the in this book and if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book what we know is back in that time the 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 bible was copied by scribes to be passed along to it was an oral tradition now that oral tradition then began to be written down and so these scribes had these stringent rules and what's being said here is is not probably just focused on the scribes those who are carrying on this word but focused on those who are reading studying and applying this don't add to it it's a warning to us with revelation i think to honestly not get to the point that we speculate on it that we lose the purpose of what it's about it's about mystery and it's about promise it's about us going from God's people from the sin of a garden to the majesty of a city. That's the story that we get to live. That's the story that we get to tell. Last two verses. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Do you all see he repeats this over and over? I am coming soon. I am coming soon. It's like he's making a, a point to us. Sometimes we lose because to the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. And Jesus died 2,000 years ago. And so we think like, okay, well, I'll have at least another day. No, he says I'm coming soon. And that soon could be today. That soon could be tomorrow. That soon could be thousands of years from now. But he is coming. I am coming soon. Amen, right? Come, Lord Jesus. This kind of mirrors the, the Aramaic phrase, Maranatha, right? Come, Lord Jesus. Be what may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. And now John ends this story of apocalypse and prophecy pointing God's people to his truth with the way that Paul would end many of his letters a blessing upon the people who have read it and so what we see here is that yes the city is prepared but the city is coming the city is prepared and the city is coming and it's coming soon and so our job as his people is to be ready for the bright morning star, to be ready for that white horse that breaks out of the eastern sky. We are called to be ready. And how can we be ready? The Bible says this, Romans 10, 13, right? We say it every week. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't have to perish, but he would have everlasting life. And we are promised that if we call upon his name, we will be saved. And what, what are we saved to? God's promise is an everlasting city for his people. I hope you've been encouraged through the series. I hope you've been encouraged 
that no matter what you're going through, to turn your eyes upon him. He won't let you down. He will help us persevere. And you know what? Tomorrow might be hard. But in him, tomorrow is promised. Tomorrow is prepared. Tomorrow is coming. God's promise is an everlasting city for his people. And I want to invite you, as anybody in here today, I want to invite you to come to that city with me, to be a part of that family. You see, heaven, eternity is not all about floating on clouds, right? When I was younger, y'all remember the movie All Dogs Go to Heaven? Scared the snot out of me, it's your fault. Um, all dogs go to heaven. You think a lot about, oh, what's heaven like? Are there going to be animals? Are there going to be this and that? Y'all know that John didn't describe everything. It's because the point is not the place. The point is the person. The point's not the place. The point is the person. And all things will be made new. And the, the great story of, yes, when a loved one dies and, and they know Jesus, maybe if, if you die before the Lord returns and you follow Jesus, yes, today you will be with me in paradise. But what Revelation chapter 21 and 22 tells us is this. Paradise will one day come to us. New heaven. Look around. You're like, man, I'm... I want to sing, I'll fly away. I want to get away from all this. Look around, all will be made new. The new city, the new Jerusalem comes out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband and it comes here. And all will be perfect. And all will be made new. And I want to invite you to join the family of God that will surround his throne and serve him and honor him for all of eternity. And like we said, the way you do that is to call upon his name. Everyone who calls upon his name will be saved. And I'd like to end by reading these verses that I, I, in the book of Hebrews that I really believe are a vision for the church. If you didn't know, the book of Hebrews is a book that's pretty complex. People debate its meaning in different parts. But the message is, is that God is that Jesus is the greater Moses. Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than all the rituals that the Jewish people had. Jesus is the great high priest. Then we get to the very end of the book and it talks about the hall of faith. Hebrews 12 and the 11, 12, beginning part of 13. We see this hall of faith. It actually ends in chapter 12. We see this hall of faith. Abraham, all those who've come before us. It says that they long for a city. They long for a city whose foundations were built upon the truth of God. And what the author of Hebrews does is he ends, he ends the book, I think, in a very practical way for the church. And he says this, for here we have no lasting city. Let that sink in. Maybe for them it was Jerusalem or wherever they were, Rome. For us, maybe it's New Orleans. For here we have no lasting city. But we seek the city that is to come. The church, we seek together. We seek and we long together. Through him, 
The hymn there is Jesus. Through Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. That's a qualifier. What's the sacrifice of praise? It's the fruit of your lips that acknowledge his name. The church we acknowledge together. When we gather on Sundays, we acknowledge the goodness of God. We acknowledge all that he's done. When we go out of these, out of this, out of these walls, we echo our mission to love God passionately and love people personally. We acknowledge him with everything that we do, with every word that is spoken, with every action that is taken. And then the author warns, he says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Do not neglect a warning there. Don't neglect to do good. How often do we neglect to do good? God, I don't have time for it today. God, I don't have the finances for it today. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The church seeks together. The church acknowledges together. The church shares together. And our last two we see here says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. See, when we come to the church, it's not just about submitting and saying, you listen to the pastor and what he has to say. When we come to the church, we submit to one another. And yes, we have roles in the church, like we have roles in everything that we do. We have husbands and wives in the family. We have children, but we all are a family. In the church, we have elder pastors. We have deacons. We have members. We have all parts of the body of Christ. Like scriptures tells us, we all have to function properly so that we can work and grow and build ourselves up in love. So what does the church do? We seek together. We acknowledge together. We share together, but we submit together. We submit together out of love for one another and out of love to Christ. What we're going to look at here in a few weeks is we're going, to, we're going to talk about church membership again here at the end of the month. We're going to talk about what does it mean to submit to one another? What does it mean to submit to Christ and to be a part of his body? And lastly is this. The author here is obviously writing. He's probably having to correct some issues, which is why he's exerting some of his leadership and apostolic authority. He says this, pray for us, for we're sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in everything, in all that we do. The church is called to outdo one another in showing honor in Romans chapter 12. That's what Paul says. The church, we seek together. We acknowledge together. We share together. We submit together. And lastly, we pray and we honor together. We pray for what God has in store for us. Our church, hey, we have a lot. I was talking with Ken and Dennis before the church service started. Like I was updating them on like contractor visits this last week. All of our plans for, we have a lot to do. Pray for us. Pray for us as we do this together because we have a clear conscience designed to act honorably in all that we do. That's why we have checks and balances. 
That's why we meet together as God's family. And here's why we have to be members of one another. We can't have accountability if we don't commit ourselves to one another. Otherwise, we're just operating by our own means. And that's not what, what John intended in the vision that Jesus gave him for the seven churches in Revelation. He meant for them to be accountable. He meant for them to look forward, to turn their eyes upon Christ together as family. So that's what we're going to do next week. We have a, our next sermon series is this, just a sneak peek. You'll see on the screen it's called Forward. Forward, challenges from the book of Haggai. If you didn't know it, Haggai was a prophet. He prophesied during the time of Ezra and then Nehemiah when Jerusalem was coming and they were rebuilding the temple. So we're going to spend a month and we're going to be just challenged together. What does it mean to look forward together? To do it together? What is God calling us to do together? If we know the war is over and we know we have a, a conquering to do here on earth, the only way we can do that is with one another. And I'm thankful for each and every one of you. I'm thankful for the church family that God has called me to. I know we've had church family come and go. Y'all, we hate, we, we hate seeing the Farleys move a few weeks ago. We hate seeing, y'all was quieter here today. That somebody's going to have to take up that mantle. Somebody's going to have to get a little bit more passionate. We hate that Andre's gone. But it's not an accident that you're here. And what God's calling us to do is God's calling us to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Looking forward, not back, but forward together. That's what the encouragement of the war being over is for is that we move forward in the boldness of Christ for his glory and his fame. Not the glory of Tim, Dean, Laura, Nancy, Donald, you know, not the glory of anybody in here, his glory alone. And I pray that by the day that we breathe our last breath, that the work that we did together through family church doesn't bring glory to one person. It doesn't even bring glory to a place, but it brings glory to the person of Jesus Christ. He's our hope. He's our redemption. He's our stay. We're gonna have a time of response. If you'd like to follow Jesus, if you'd like to begin talking about what does it mean to be a member of family church, if you need prayer, for something, maybe you have a hurt, you know, maybe you have a sickness, maybe you know someone who's not doing well, maybe, maybe, in fact, maybe there's someone that you're praying about inviting to Jesus and inviting to be a part of his church family. The church, what do we do? We pray for one another. We pray. We honor, we acknowledge, we submit, we seek, we move forward. So let's do that as we respond. We're responding forward.